Okay, hello and welcome to the seventh episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and managing websites on a regular basis. My name is Paul Boag. And my name is Marcus Lillington, and I wrote that song you've just been listening to. Ha ha. It was only through through request we put it on here. It won't happen again, promise. Um, (laughs) On this week's podcast, we're going to be focusing on your site's content, how to write good web content, the benefits of good content, and how to manage it effectively. But before we get into that, there's a few things I want to cover um, that have cropped up in the last week or so. So we'll start with those. First of all, um, if I sound a bit weird this week, it's because Marcus is doing the recording instead of me, as one of my PC's motherboards decided to explode horribly. Um, And so, once again, I'm having technical problems. Are you picking up a, a kind of ongoing saga here with me? But anyway, you don't need to know about that. Um, I want to do a bit of a news section this week because there's some cool stuff that's come up in the news and um, I wanted to share it all with you. First and most importantly is BoagWorld.com has finally got around to putting together some kind of mission statement. Um, sad and geeky though that is, it was kind of a, a need on my part to ca- clarify who I was aiming um, BoagWorld.com at and uh, what kind of issues I was going to raise and make sure that my content remained focused um, on specific issues instead of just kind of wandering around on all kinds of uh, different things. So here is the Boagor.com mission statement. This podcast exists for the help of you poor sods who have been lumbered with the job of managing the company website. This responsibility is on top of your normal work and you've been given it despite the fact that you know little or nothing about the internet and building websites. It's for you that BoagWorld.com exists. And for, Paul exactly. to, and for Paul to have a rant online, of course. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that as well. But I guess what, what I'm saying through this mission statement is, is that although I think um, as web designers and developers, um, you can get something out of this uh, podcast and, and website, um, I don't think it's kind of primarily designed for you. I'm not going to get into real heavy technical issues. I'm not going to um, start discussing whether ASP or PHP hosting is better or that kind of stuff, at least not on the detailed technical level. What I'm trying to do here is um, create a podcast that is um, primarily focused on those that are perhaps responsible for the website but don't really understand um, the complexities of individual issues. What I'll do is I'll um, post up on boagworld.com forward slash podcast um, a link to a more detailed summary of that and, and why I've gone down this route. If you have strong objections to this or if you think that uh, um, it's a good idea, I'd be interested to hear your feedback. And as normal, you can email us at paul, dot, um, sorry, paul at boagworld.com. Okay, so let's move on from that on to other news. Um, the big news this week is that in Sydney, Australia, um, they have just completed the Web Essentials Conference, which um, basically was a conference of all of the top names really in the world of web design coming together, bouncing ideas around, talking about the latest developments in uh, web technology and it's an excellent conference. But the reason I'm uh, raising this is because they have very kindly put uh, the podcasts of all of their speakers online so you can get them and you can listen to them. I really highly recommend taking the time to listen to some of those um, speakers, there's some excellent stuff. Um, some really interesting um, slots on all kinds of different things. In particular, I've, as normal, I've enjoyed Doug Bowman, 
Um, Marcus, you probably remember Doug Bowman from the App Media Conference. He was the guy you really liked. Yeah, he was my favourite speaker of the lot. He did two, two different ones. It was the one when he when he broke down the, the redesign of the blogger website. That was fantastic. Yeah, that's it. Well, he on this one is actually looking at kind of the future of the web and how we should go about um, dealing with these new applications that are emerging and he, he's just excellent, he's really good and he says some, some really good things that I can associate with, um, things like um, do you feel like you're running to keep up the whole time with these new innovations um, and I, I'm sure we can all associate with that. So check that out, again biogrill.com forward slash podcast will have the link to that. Um, there's a new web design podcast uh, that is up and around and you might want to take a look at. It's by a guy called WebAx, or it's called WebAx, should I say. Um, he took the trouble to email me and uh, tell me about his new podcast and also say how much he enjoyed mine. So I started giving him a mention, so that's what I'm doing. I have, have to admit I haven't yet listened to it, but it's on my um, iPod waiting to be listened to, so it's, uh, I'll get around to it soon. So again, Barry World for slash podcast, we'll have the link to that. Another thing, I told you it's a busy week. <laughs> Another thing is that um, Jacob Nielsen, the usability guru um, that uh, we all love to love and hate at the same time, I think, really, um, has just released a new um, article on his site, which is the Web Design Mistakes of 2005. Uh, so, you know, he does this pretty much every year. Um, he releases a list of the main things that people are doing wrong on their websites for that particular year. Um, obviously, a lot of them carry on from one year to the next, but there's some new things in the 2005 uh, edition. So go and check that out um, on his website as well. There's some really interesting stuff there. I'm not convinced I agree with all of it. One of the things he says is that design should be flexible and not fixed. Um, and that's a very long, long ancient debate where people disagree regularly. Uh, and the final bit of news today is that um, if you ever use sitepoint.com, which is an excellent resource for web designers and developers and people just interested in web development, uh, you will know that they have released a new article, or in fact they've released a new book of which they've put an extract on their site um, about Dreamweaver 8 and web, web standards. So a lot of people have been writing to me asking for me to kind of go into more details about web standards and how to build web standards based sites. Well, because of the mission statement I've just mentioned, I'm not going to get into the, the details of divs and IDs and classes and all that kind of stuff. But if you want a starting point, if you're already familiar with Dreamweaver and using Dreamweaver 8, then check out this, this article because it really does go into loads and loads of depth. And uh, you might even want to build the book. Again, Build the book? Build the book, buy the book. Buy the book, yeah. Um, again, I'm not saying that I kind of agree with everything that's written in this article, um, but it's certainly a really good starting point, especially for designers that don't really want to get too heavily into the code. Um, it's a really good uh, really good article to look at. So again, bowagworld.com forward slash podcast will have the link to that. So there's our news. Okay. I've got through that. Yeah. yeah, there's loads of it. I'm trying to get through it as quickly as possible because we've got a lot to cover in this episode. I've been receiving a lot of email feedback um, relating to subjects that people want to hear about. Um, some of which I can do, some of which I can't do um, because they're too technical for this podcast. 
But one of the things that's come over quite a lot is questions about content um, in various forms and guises, and in particular questions about content management systems and picking content management systems. Well, to be honest, um, the issue of how to pick a content management system isn't necessarily one I want to get into right now because it's so individual to your individual requirements and how much you need to edit the site that I'm probably not going to dwell on that aspect too long. But I would quite like to look at the issues of content as a whole um, yeah. and putting content on your website. So why is content so important? Um, how to make your content accessible to the widest possible audience? Some general advice on, on writing content. And then we'll get into the issue of, of um, managing content and things like content management systems and that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of plan. So um, there are two basic types of content that we're going to touch on um, or talk about, which is written content and applications content. So what I mean by that, written content is just you know your standard text explaining stuff, your about us section or whatever else. Application related content is things like um, calendars of events or um, forums or that kind of thing. So both. So the, what we're going to talk about here, a lot of it applies to both of those different types of content. But I think a good place to start is, Marcus, if you want to cover the subject of why content is so important. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I guess really it's that users, web, uh, internet users are just not as easily impressed as they used to be. It used to be a case of, you know, Talking five years ago, people would go online just to be impressed with whizzy things. Uh, now people go online um, to look for something specific. So they, what they expect above all other things, even usability and the like, is good content. Um, it's, but yeah, people are, are task orientated now rather than just surfing. Mm, yeah, definitely. And also, I think there's a there's a future issue here looking forward um, that. We're in a situation now where we're kind of beginning to separate content from design, um, and certainly a lot of us are doing that using web standards. Mm. Um, and so um, you're beginning to be able to deliver that content in different ways um, at different times. So you can put it into RSS feeds, other people can bring it into their own websites. So you can't always rely on the uh, content being showed alongside the design. This is specifically or very true with RSS feeds, that that content is just pulled into um, an RSS feed and can be delivered on Google's homepage or it can be delivered through a news aggregator and it's not going to have design to prop it up. So people in those kinds of situations only care about the quality of the content, they don't care about anything else. Well yeah, and, and Google itself cares about the content on your site far more than anything else. Um, good written content that includes important messages will improve search engine rankings. I mean, that's always been the case, I guess, but I mean, it's um, Google's algorithms, and, and we always mention Google, don't we? But all the search engines rely on good, um, well-written, non-clogged-up-with-code content, basically. So that's mm. a, another reason for why content is so important. And then a, and then a kind of long-standing reason for content being important is that it's content that generates your repeat traffic. We don't come back to your site again and again to see the graphics, they come back because of the content. So ensuring that you've got good quality content means that people will return to your site and so are more likely to complete whatever call, of act, call to action you have, whether that's make a purchase or um, volunteer their time or just get involved. You know. Mm. 
Okay, so there's a few brief reasons about why content is so important and why it really needs more attention than it gets. And I, I, the thing that always strikes me and, um, as a web design company is that we go to, um, you know, we go to clients and um, they often underestimate the content part of that uh, part of the process. And of course, as a web design company, we don't traditionally provide the content for our clients. Um, and so it's down to them to start putting that content together. And they don't ever leave enough time to do that. And, and so it kind of, it doesn't have any kind of um, the care and attention it should receive. And it's almost like a last minute thing of let's shove up content, let's copy and paste stuff out of printed material. Let's just get something on there. And it, I think people often underestimate how important content is on a site. And so- Yeah, nearly always. It's, oh yeah, it's, it's a it's a very refreshing thing when when we we deal with a client who who's got all the content written. Occasionally, it happens. It's like, well, we've got all this together. This is and this is what we base the structure of the site around. You know, that that's another point. It it you know people do these diagrams of boxes with names in. It's almost like how the content flows should should determine the structure of the site to a certain extent. It does happen sometimes, but it's very rare. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to look at the subject. Um, the accessibility of your content and I kind of um, I've actually just posted a, a blog um, on baragor.com about this this um, subject um, I came I, I was reading through the accessibility guidelines again um, which I tend to have to do from time to time just to refresh my memory and I spotted this little guideline kind of tucked away in priority one. So in other words, it's the lowest level of um, accessibility. If you're going to meet that lowest level, you need to um, uh, conform to this guideline. And it, it's a guideline that I've kind of skipped over in the past because it, it's, um, it's quite subjective. But it, it's really, really important. Um, and it says in the WAI guidelines, priority one, point fourteen point one. Um, it says, use the clearest and simplest language appropriate for your site's content. So in order to meet the minimum level of accessibility, you need to ensure that you're using the clearest and simplest language appropriate for your site's content. Well, As you I don't... <laughs> yeah, nobody ever does that, do they? I mean... <laughs> no, well, they don't. But you can't measure it either, because it is no. subjective. But anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm butting in as no, and you're, you're totally right, it is subjective, but that doesn't mean you should just completely ignore it. And you need, you need to seriously question whether or not your site is using the clearest and simplest language. I mean, the one that always makes, I think about is like, we do loads of uh, public sector stuff and higher education stuff, and they're absolutely horrendous for, on this point. Yet, those audiences are the audiences that say they're kind of most committed to accessibility. Yet, Using the clearest and simplest language, not a hope. They use jargon for a pastime. Mm. Um, and stuff that seems very logical and sensible to them, but not necessarily to their audience. Let me give you an example. Higher education sites, right? Um, almost all higher education sites, or certainly a lot of them, um, allow you to access um, course information by um, undergraduate courses and postgraduate courses. Use the clearest and simplest language appropriate to your site's content. Seems very logical. 
undergraduates and postgraduates. But when you think of their target audience, which is your average, um, you know, 18 year old coming out of A levels, we've done usability testing where very few of those actually know the difference between undergraduate and postgraduate. Mm. They don't know whether they're applying for an undergraduate course or a postgraduate course. Disturbing. Then they have to go away mm. and find that out. Or another example in the same category, a lot of university sites have um, alumni as a section. And the majority of 18-year-olds do not know what the alumni refers to former students. So again, the language isn't as clear and simple as it could be. So make sure your language is clear and simple. So, so some ways you do that very quickly um, is you ensure good at scannability, ensure that um, you've got headings that can be um, easily read, you've got lots of bullet points, you use bold to emphasize key areas, um, you use uh, obvious link titles that are easy to understand, that kind of thing. Secondly, keep it jargon free um, so that you avoid acronyms and you avoid um, using words that aren't generally understood by your target audience. And finally, keep it short. Um, Steve Krug says in his book, take your content, write it out, cut it in half, and then cut it in half again, and you're probably at about the right length. People don't read a lot of content online. You need to be shortened to the point. But the W3C goes on and mentions um, some additional ways of complying to this checkpoint. Um, so they mention the headings and the link text, which I've just talked about. But they also talk about front-loading paragraphs and the page as a whole. And what they mean by that is they mean put the important content at the beginning of each paragraph and put a summary at the beginning of the page because it aids people as they skim read the page. It also talks about limiting each paragraph to a single concept or idea so you don't try and get too much across too quickly. It also says the thing about avoiding slang that I've just talked about. Um, it, also, um, it recommends as well that you uh, favor words that are commonly used. For example, use begin rather than commence or use try rather than endeavor. So perhaps dumb down the language a little bit and, and, and stop it getting too complex. Not because people don't necessarily understand those words, but because they have to pause and think about them before moving on. Mm. Um, it also I'm not sure I agree with that, but yeah. You're not sure you agree with that? Yeah. Oh. I think as long as, as long as people can understand what the word means. Yeah, perhaps that's the because, thing. Because otherwise you, you end up with text that's not pleasant to read which then people won't read it. That's another reason not to read it. Yeah, Sorry, it's interesting. I'm arguing like, with the WAI here. Well, you know, that's, that's fair enough. I, yeah. I disagree with W3C over a lot of stuff. Yeah, so. if, you, if you had a sentence where you had to use the word try twice, it would be nicer to read if you used try and endeavour. That's true, yes. Yes, I do totally agree with that. Okay, all right, you win. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so the other couple of things they've got is use active rather than passive verbs and avoid complex sentence structures. So there's a, a few bits and pieces um, in regards to accessibility. So let's go on to look at some general advice for web copy. Yeah, this kind of just jumps on quite nicely. I mean, a lot of those rules apply to general advice for writing uh, web copy. But I guess the main one is, um, well, this this... This is something that we we try and try and write it in the style for our own website, which is make it personal, um, make it personal because because computers aren't, um, and it, it, it's it's dangerous ground because some people expect us to be very sort of corporate and have corporate language. But I I I agree with you on this, Paul. I think we should be 
web, website copy for, for virtually all sites should be personal and friendly and mm. just accessible I guess in a more in a friendly way rather than a <clears throat> in the in a, a sort of WAI sense um, that and also you know a, a web copy shouldn't shouldn't patronize people it should be I, I guess almost one-to-one I mean this does depend on what the content's about um, but for most most of the time it's more pleasant to read a friendly copy I guess that's that's all I'm trying to say on this one um, the next thing on, on, on with regard to writing a copy is remember that people are reading it on screen. This comes back to good scannability, you know, using headings, bullets, you know, um, um, emphasising things using bold, etc. Um, that's probably the most important thing of, of all because people scan pages; they don't read word for word for word. Good writing things with good headings and paragraphs is that that's probably the most important thing. I would have thought, at least at least as the starting point, breaking breaking up your content into usable chunks. I nearly said bite-sized chunks then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there been no forgiving you. No. The the, the next um, the next point though is about, and this is, I mean, it's painful, and you know, a lot of people take the mick out of marketing site marketing talk in on adverts on websites in you know in in particular press uh, press magazines that kind of thing but companies still do it mm. they still come out with completely useless rubbish particularly at the start of their sites you'll go to a you'll go to a website uh, you'll have been pointed to a particular website go and have a look at this and then the intro, the introductory paragraph is just complete it's not even selling at you it's just sort of Talking, it, it's kind of words that sound nice. And, and, we had, I wish and I could pointless. remember. We, we had one client that, I wish I could remember what they said. And you read through the first paragraph of text and you had no idea what they did. And it's over, None at yeah, all. over and over and over and over again I, I do this. I mean, within the public sector, we find it um, with certain bodies that don't really know where they <laughs> why they exist. Yeah, why they exist why are we here but you know we, this is always the very first thing we say to say to people with regarding to strap lines and introductory paragraphs say who you are and what you do yeah. and then stop <laughs> you know that's it um i, I, I wish i'd i'd, I'd um, come up with come up with an example for this um i will i'll have a look around and see if i can find find it find an excellent example of marketing talk in introductory paragraphs of websites because there are so many of them out there. Software companies are dreadful for it. Yeah. You know, it's like all they need to do is say, we're a software company, we design this really cool thing, uh, and it does this. But they'll talk about, you know, sort of blue sky enterprise and stuff <laughs> like that. <And> <laughs> like... <sighs> anyway, yes, enough of that rant over. Well, the next thing is, is a similar, similar thing is avoid using jargon, which you've covered already, but yes. Yeah, I have, yeah. The, yes, the the X Y Z of the A B C, and, and you end up with these sentences that mean absolutely nothing. Um, I guess the final point on this one, it, it, it's also linked again, but it's happy talk. Remove happy talk. You know, welcome to whatever. You know, um, it's people don't need to be welcomed. They know they're there. They've just typed in the, the URL. You know, um, this is this is Steve Krug again, um, basically saying that. Happy talk is that half and half again that you can remove. It's people, mm. 
It, but again, this is where maybe I start to slightly disagree because it kind of goes against the making it personal. If you're going to write in a personal tone, you have to be a bit friendly, and that might mean a little bit of happy talk. So it's it's all about balance, but be aware of it. Don't write stuff that doesn't mean anything, whether it's jargon, whether it's marketing talk, whether it's happy talk. People want want to get to you know get to the the, the real meaning as quickly as possible. Yeah, totally agree with all of that. Okay, so let's move on to the final area we want to look at, which is um, managing your content. And this is where I'm perhaps going to touch a little bit on the issue of content management. And I think if you're in a situation where you're um, currently um, getting your site rebuilt and you're um, thinking about content management, think carefully about what you actually need to be able to do on the site. Mm. There is... um, there is a desire to go, oh yes, we need to have a content management system. And then you go out there and you start looking at bits of technology that, um, that provide content management solutions. But actually that's the wrong way around. Sit down and think exactly what functionality you need to be able to do. For example, do you need to just be able to edit, edit existing pages? Do you want to be able to add new pages? Do you want to be able to restructure the information architecture of your site? Do you want to be able to update some sections more um, often than others, like news? Um, do you want to be able to manage events? Do you need um, a workflow where one person um, uh, writes the copy, another person signs it off before it goes live? All of these kinds of things. Sit down and think exactly what you need to be able to do, and then go and look to see what technologies can do it. This because comes if, back to my what I was saying about writing your content before you do anything else. Because if you've written, not maybe to the, you know, so it's absolutely polished and perfect, but if you've written all your content, you know what you want to say on your website. And you can base all of these decisions mm. around that. Obviously, then you can see which parts of it are likely to stay the same for a long period and which are going to change a lot. But sorry, butting in again. Yeah. Yeah, you are, but that's okay. I'll forgive you. Yeah. Um, so when you then go back out into the marketplace, you've kind of got a strong idea of what it is that you want to get. Because what will happen otherwise is you'll start talking to uh, content management providers and they'll they'll offer you, you know, they'll say, our content management system does this. And you'll go, ooh, that's cool. And you'll get it even though you don't really need it. So there are a whole range of content management systems out there. From the most basic level, which is something like Macromedia's Contribute, which allows you to um, edit pages very well and allows you to perhaps add the occasional new page, um, but hasn't got complete control over the information architecture or that kind of stuff. So from that very basic kind of solution right the way up to an enterprise um, content management system that not only manages your online content but also manages your print material. It allows you to have workflow where multiple people are using the different levels of access and it's got all these kinds of cool features. You know, contribute kind of costs, I think it costs about $89 or something like that, up to an enterprise level content management system that could cost you 100 grand. <laughs> you know, so it's a huge <coughs> scope there. Even more so, than that now. Um, yeah, well, they used to be. Whether they are now, sorry, I'm getting my getting myself mixed up. But um, yeah, I mean, I can remember. Was it a vignette? It used to cost two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And and so you kind of you really need to have a good idea of what you want to be able to achieve, and then go and look at the marketplace and see whether that can be achieved within your budget. 
Okay, so, but, and here is another, and I cannot emphasize this point enough. This is, if you take one thing away from today, this is the one thing. Content management systems do not solve your content problems. What often happens within an organization is that suddenly people will look around at their website and they go, flipping it, that news article is from the year 2000. You know, our site isn't being updated. There isn't all these new products on it. You know, we need to keep our site up to date. And what they often do is they often throw the problem at the IT department and say, this site needs to be up to date. And the IT department, being in a tech, you know, technological department, go out and look for a content management system. It will not solve your content management problems. Sure, it will provide a mechanism whereby more people can update the site. But just because more people are, uh, have got the ability to update the site doesn't mean they will. People are often, uh, what, what often happens is you put a content management system in, in place and then you say to your individual departments within the company, it's your job to update your bit of the site. But people don't do it, basically. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they will not make those updates. You get a few in, um, uh, kind of enthusiastic individuals that will, but the majority of people see it as an unimportant part of their job. It's not part of their job description. It's an additional thing that's been tagged on um, that they have to do, and it sinks to the bottom of their priority list. It's the last thing they get round to doing. And so it won't work if you just kind of fling it out into the company and say, edit your bit of the site. You need a more um, kind of cohesive approach than that. Really what you need is a web editor. You need one individual who has got, as part of his job description, his or her job description, um, the, the, the job of editing and maintaining the site. Now, that's not saying that they have to edit and maintain every single page. You can still distribute it to the rest of the company. But that one person is responsible for chasing the others, making sure that they do update the site, promoting the benefits of updating the site, um, as well as then going in and creating a consistent writing style so it looks like the site has been written by one individual and ensuring this consistency in what is said on the site, the bits of it don't contradict other bits of it and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you need one individual that has got a passion and an enthusiasm and a, and a time to work on the website. And okay, that might not be a full-time position, but it certainly needs to be something that's written into what they do. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Most the other, point. yeah, the other related thing to that is um, is that if you do decide to have a content management system, the next stage is that you decide you need to train up everybody on how to use that content management system. Great. So you send everybody on a training course that no doubt um, costs the company money, um, and they go on the training course and they learn how to use a content management system, and then they come away. Now, one of two things happens. Either they get really into it and they start adding content on a regular basis, but just because they understand how to use the content management system doesn't mean that they've got good ideas about layout or how to write copy well or anything like that. So the quality of the stuff they're putting on the site isn't particularly high. So one point is that you need to train people not only on how to use CMS, but also on fundamental principles of web design, like good layout, like effective, use, effective copywriting. 
The other thing that can happen is that they go on their training course, they come away, and then it's three months before they actually have to do anything to the site, by which point they've forgotten how to use it entirely. So it's important that not only do they have an initial training course, but they have good documentation to remind them how to do stuff, and that perhaps they get refresher courses from time to time. So training is a vitally important part of any um, content management, really. Yep. So my underlying principle here, I think, in regards to content is don't invest all of your money in technology. Invest some of it in the people that edit your site as well. The technology is only a part of the story. The rest is also what to do with your site and how to manage your site. So I think that's a, that kind of is a brief and quick introduction <coughs> yeah. into the world of content. Absolutely. I don't think there's anything else to cover. I'm sure we're going to fade out eventually with uh, Marcus's uh, wonderful music again. <laughs> Thank you, Marcus, for putting that on. We had one request, one request for using his music as the introduction, but that was enough to get him to do it. But sure, uh, Marcus, I'm sure you want to end with your, your obligatory joke. Uh, yeah, well, you know, things that, comment. things that might be quite amusing. Um, I, I'm going to have to pick on the Japanese again. Sorry, anyway, this is not. It could be anything. It's just it's translations to English again, which just. Uh, oh yeah, well, that is cool. Bizarre, these ones. <laughs> this is an ad, an ad on a restaurant, or an ad for a restaurant rather. Um, so right, this is a, a real English labels on Japanese items. This is what it says: No one really goes to Aquabar for the drinks, but we make sure our drinks won't kill you. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it, gets, it gets more surreal. That one kind of makes sense in a, in a weird kind of way. Yeah. This is on a paper coffee cup, okay? The art of hot, side by side. I'll be yours forever, but please, because please don't weep. It's like, <laughs> I'd love to know what, they would, what, what that was translated from. That would be even better, but this is the best one. Uh, this is on a photo-developing envelope, right? So that's a really boring thing. This is yeah. Right, really dull, dull thing. This is what it says. Takes the thirst out of everyday time. A pure whiff of oxygen, painting over a monochrome world in primary colours. We all know that. It's why everyone loves fruit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And on that, I think it's time to say goodbye. I think it is. <laughs> Bye and see you next week. So